0: The Magic of Shaharazad, five chapters of magic and mystery over 750 dazzling screens. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. And I'm laughing a little bit through the intro <laughs> there because I've never heard of a video game referring <laughs> to how many screens yeah. <laughs> of data they have. Like, just imagine like Super Mario Brothers, you know they they probably have called out the number of levels, but not like the amount of pixels across yeah. the screen.
1: I I'm like Trying to imagine like the, the back flap of a book, trying to rave about how many pages it is or, yeah. <laughs> or paragraphs. I guess if we're going to get into that with but, screens,
2: yeah, paragraphs I think makes more like yeah. of a parallel because <laughs> it's uh, it's just so pages. I can at least be like, hey, here's 500 pages of wonder or whatever. Like, it's kind of weird, <laughs> but like, you're getting so specific. Like, here's 500 TV lengths of, of, uh, whatever they called it
0: sean you just reminded me of the old republic's marketing campaign where they were like yeah it's like thirty thousand page script that like everybody read their lines and everything and we've been working on this for years and it's like sure like that's really exciting that they recorded all that dialogue but is it any good like yeah you know what's funny AI generated art yeah
1: (laughs) it's that's actually a pretty common uh Marketing thing of just like yeah, the script's like ten one hundred thousand pages. Like I remember my one of my games that I bring up every week, Disco Elysium is talked about how many pages that script is, but like it, the fact that several kinds of games of varying quality can have this talked about, it doesn't really indicate that quality. <laughs>
0: When I hear the word Shaharazad, I always think about the Tales of the Arabian Nights pinball machine, uh, but that actually came out later. That came out in 1996. But the Tales of the Arabian Nights pinball machine, which is really one of the best pinball machines ever, has you um, complete various quests from the One Thousand and One uh, Nights, uh, you know, folk book. That uh, and the Magic of Shaharazad is one of them. And this is also loosely based on the, the the tale that's featured in the same book. But that book also has, like, Aladdin and other things in it, too. So, oh. obviously, it's, like, the Middle Eastern equivalent of, like, Grimm's fairy tales.
1: Honestly, I didn't know that Scheherazade yeah, was a like, part of
0: it.
2: <laughs> it was, because is it... I mean, I just read this, because I don't really know much about any of this lore, but, like, um, isn't it the case that this is, like, like, a lot of those stories sort of melded together yes and way. that's
0: why i said loosely based <laughs> yeah yeah
1: what are some other fun stories from the book of mormon
0: uh whoa it's <laughs> the book is called one thousand and one nights and okay. uh as, as far as i you know like i don't own a copy of the book or whatever but i believe that is where as i just said like aladdin it, yeah. the story of aladdin that disney adapted is from uh that book but. If you wanted me to just cheat and go on Wikipedia, uh, it's a very complicated page. But I'm sure that there's a story about a genie. I'm sure that there's a story about like <laughs> nothing else that I can think of. Oh, the forty thieves, right? Uh, isn't that isn't that the uh, like Aladdin thing as well?
1: Or are there is there a part of Aladdin with forty thieves? I'm sorry yeah, for getting that's you third, off track. <laughs>
0: no, that's okay. That's the third movie in the Aladdin series, the Aladdin trilogy. In the Disney Aladdin, yeah, yes.
2: Wow, I yeah, didn't see that. Yeah, the, books, that the one.
0: books weren't written like trilogies. <laughs> Sean, you shouldn't come to a 1001 Nights Fight without being prepared.
1: I just liked how Joe called it lore. <laughs> Is it, what, what's the definition of lore? What's lore? I don't know. When I think about lore, I consider it like stuff that doesn't exist, that hasn't existed for hundreds or thousands of years.
2: Um, so, what about like lore that comes from folks?
1: Will that be folklore, but not yeah, lore? So that's, that's a type of lore, like, right? There's lore in, uh, like, Skyrim. There's folklore. Mm. So in lore cultures. has
2: to be new, and folklore is ancient. That's how I or see old. it. Yeah. Hmm, interesting.
0: I don't. I don't know enough to to argue. The Magic of Shahrazad is a action RPG with some surprising turn based combat as well. They kind of had an identity crisis where. Uh, for the most part, it's an action RPG similar to um, like Secret of Mana, but then as you're changing screens, sometimes it becomes a Final Fantasy-style turn-based combat game with recruitable party members and also some Chrono Trigger time travel elements. Uh, you know, We're going to get all into this, so that was a really poor overview because basically this is a very large game broken up into the five chapters that I mentioned on the back of the box. And if you really want to get nitty-gritty, 750 screens. But let's just start (laughs) with the plot here. You play as uh, whatever you want your name to be. You put your name in. And uh, you have lost the battle. Like, that's how it starts. You've lost, but then you've also lost your memory. And it's unclear why you didn't just get killed if you lost, like why you were spared. But you lost your memory, and now the Princess of Shaharazad has been... um, Captured by uh, the evil wizard Sabaron, who is about to summon the demon Gora Gora uh, to like destroy humanity. So not sure why the princess needs to be uh, kidnapped in the same process as the demon killing everybody. But who knows what Sabaron has uh, at for plans? So um, that's the plot in a nutshell. It definitely expands a lot. Like I said, there's recruitable party members. There's lots of NPCs and world building to this. The actual layout of the world, rather linear and pretty rigid in the sense of, like, there was definitely not a lot of thought put into the map making. You just kind of go from one town, travel across a bunch of enemy screens, get to another town, learn some new stuff. But, uh, you know, it's enough of, you know, kidnapping princesses, seen it once, seen it a dozen times. Uh, The one
1: thing I don't really understand about the setup here is that, okay, so you've been defeated. And there's this demon that you know gotta defeat, and the world's at stake, and your girlfriend's at stake, or whatever. But like, why is the why is there you you forgetting everything part of the story? Like, if you forgot everything, why uh, you wouldn't really care about this princess that you don't remember? And maybe somebody would tell yeah, you that, that the world was at stake.
2: I, I thought that that was interesting too. I thought that the, the like, to me, it felt, I mean, maybe that's also part of the, the lore. I'm going to stick with lore um, <laughs> of this. But, uh, but also, like, if, if I'm just thinking of it as like a writer wrote this for this game, I'm not sure if that's true or not. It felt like it was just there for that, like, that moment of like, do you remember? It's you. Like, that twist, <laughs> yeah. that plot twist five seconds into the game. But, um, yeah, it it did feel like an un- unnecessary part of
0: the plot unless it is part of the lore. And in today's games, that would be saved for like the midpoint of the video game where it's revealed right. you've already lost, you know. Here, it's done right at the start, and I agree, Sean, it's a little confusing because then you already know that you lost, so it's not a surprise to you, but the loss of your player's memory just makes it so that likely he all the spells and stuff that he knew are forgotten, but more so so that he can have people explain the world to you because you don't know those parts you just know that you lost so now it's like a construct that way my biggest hang up though and this is most egregious right at the beginning of the game is why give choices to the player character you if they aren't going to be accepted a lot of times (laughs) in the beginning of this game you can choose to say that you don't want to do stuff yeah and they just keep (laughs) saying the same thing until you say yes and this happened in. Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door uh, to me as like a kid and I got hung up there and I'm sure it happens in many other games but it just feels so silly it, it's to give the option.
1: Yeah it specifically happens a lot in, in Japanese games. For some reason there's this trope in JRPGs or just story based Japanese games where you have to be given like the choice to do what the game is about like let alone that, you know, you putting the cartridge or disc in your system and des- <laughs> and deciding to interact with the controller is you giving your consent for the game to happen to you. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this is just, like, part of that hero's journey, the Japanese version, where it's just like, well, do you accept? And you have to accept a call to action. Yeah. <laughs> and... I, I always found it funny, like, I'll always say no just to see what happens, and some games will make you, like, replay the entire intro if you do, um, but uh, it it was funny to see it here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd say it's, if if for anything, I mean, I agree, but it, I guess they're doing it for immersion, hoping that you'll pick the, like correct choice and then just always wonder what would have happened if you said no <laughs> yeah. uh like i know some games like more like you know not recent but more recent than this like i remember final fantasy 8 had a few times where that happened but then it also had a lot of times where your choices did i mean not matter significantly to the story but like change like what you were going to do next so sometimes you're like oh i don't know maybe like maybe i shouldn't mess around and just say no just to be funny here because maybe it actually will change something doesn't feel like this game ever did this. It just it was just like right off the bat, yes or no. It's like, haha ha, funny you're, joke. You're not far into the game anyways, so
0: you can just restart if, if it does anything
2: They crazy. do it twice in a I row. Mean, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and then following up on choices that uh, seem like you have some agency over them but then don't really matter in the long run is choosing uh, which class you want to be. You can actually choose between the fighter, the magician, or the saint and uh, that seems like it would carry some weight to it. I didn't actually think that we were going to see something like this before um, Final Fantasy, which is coming later this year. But so say you choose to be the fighter, and you're like, all right, I'm the fighter. Yeah, you are the fighter at the start of the game, but later on, you'll be able to switch classes. In fact, you need to switch classes uh, at certain points in this game to complete uh, certain missions. So or missions, I guess, is what we're going to call them. But, you know, side quests. Uh, to, do, to progress in the plot, you have to change your class. So it's not quite something that you have to, like, really think long and hard about.
1: Yeah, there's still enough changed and I think that happens late enough in the game where it does have an effect on your playstyle. Like I think if you're a fighter, your sword is longer, right? Isn't the the swing a bit wider?
0: Yeah, each each class differs in its um in the weapon that it uses uh so the sword is a little better for the fighter, but also like the abilities you get too. So you know, even if you're not, cha- I'm not pretending like you're just changing after each town or whatever. So you are right that there is, a- at least it's a little bit more of an impactful decision than saying no to something that only allows yes.
1: Yeah, I, I think of it more in the sort of Soulsborne way of like the the stats are so low. Like when you start that the, the deciding which class you're going to be is really only going to change your early game.
0: Yeah, so the fighter, you know, ha, uh, has has the longer sword, whereas the magician, I guess, uses a dagger. But then, obviously, the magician has access to more powerful rods that the fighter doesn't have access to. And the saint, since that's not a usual class that we see, I guess the saint equivalent... What would the saint equivalent be for, like, Final Fantasy games?
2: Well, what is the saint? I I only played as the magician, so I'm they not can, even sure what the difference is. They
0: can exclusively utilize certain items. So they have, like... Um, they have these boots that uh, prevent damage uh, at, when you're like walking right. on spikes and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I guess um, you know, I guess that's like a cool feature, but it feels more like a support an item. class. Yeah, yeah. I, I did class.
1: appreciate the uh, little taste of immersion. I guess where if you do play as the saint, you are barred from gambling.
0: <laughs> really? Because a awful.
1: saint wouldn't gamble.
0: Uh, but why would a magician be allowed to to well, enter a casino? That's <laughs> true. <laughs> it's
1: true. Magicians just win every time. Well, magicians are degenerates and have no morality. So I'm sure that you know most people in casinos fancy themselves magicians.
0: And this is an RPG where. There are levels. Uh, they're represented as chapters, which is great for the, um, you know, 1,001 Nights um, theme going around here. But they are pretty linear experiences where um, it's it's very defined onto what you have to do. And then once you clear that chapter, it's not like you get to go back to any of that stuff or, or revisit it in like a chapter select thing. Uh, this is very much the kind of experience that there are, you know, there's missable items, but not story missable items, which is great because you don't, you know, we've played games where sometimes you find out 20 minutes later that you miss something that now you have to restart the game. This is just more like, uh, it's not the open expansive world like dragon warrior or final fantasy will be.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that works for a game like this where it, it sort of branches out and then it'll branch back in before, next chapter, so that it's just like a bunch of mini worlds so you still get this idea that you have the freedom to go whatever town in each world so it's not like you're always going to the right like in a like a side scroller or something but it they're able to guide you with a bit more heavy of a hand
2: yeah I think it's also significant based on something I'm sure we'll talk about at some point here, but the, there's this time travel element to each, well I'm assuming to each world, I didn't I didn't actually get to every world, but um, there's this time door where you go to like some past version of the same world and I think that that, first of all adds a lot of like content without making like the map actually bigger and makes it like a little more enjoyable to re-explore the same place yeah. at a different time period and like see the differences and what you can change and what's different, you know It feels more like um, it's designed to be these small experiences so then you can compare.
0: Yeah, and the time gates, as they're called, uh, it's pretty surprising to see. I thought, like, Chrono Trigger came up with that idea of, like, doing stuff in the past that affects the future and stuff. And, like, you know, clearly that's just me being uneducated here. But uh, I I like that, you know, it's not just the past. You can go to the future, too. I don't know if you knew that, Joe. Um, But what you do, like, so, for instance... The most apparent one is that, because the game tells you about it the first time before you go to the past, that if you plant a seed here, like they're mentioning in the present, like there, there's a way to plant, plant the seed here. So when you go to the past, you go to the same screen, you plant the seed. When you come back to the present, now there's a tree there. Pretty cool, like, you know, good representation. Very similar to Chrono Trigger, where, like, if you open a chest and then um, and then go... In, if you open a chest in the past, and then go back to the present, like the chest is already open, so you kind of spoiled uh, the reward because uh, it's already been opened. Whereas if you do it properly, you can open up the chest several times and get several different rewards. The novelty of the time travel, though, is a little less interesting here. One because it's it's very forcibly done, where you have to in order to progress, you have to um, like jump just to the past, do what you do in the past, go back to the present, so on and so forth. But also the NPCs kinda of seem to be aware of the time gates and the ability of time travel and like explaining to to the player, but also to you, the player, very clearly what to do with time travel. Like um the character, they're like, Farouk was here fifty years ago. If you go there, you'll meet him. It's like what the hell does that like, you know, like yeah. if you knew about time travel, like why don't you go <laughs> back in time and meet him? Like what is what is that about?
1: Yeah, I was very thrown off just by their use of their Instead of like, yeah, if, if you were around back then, then you'd have seen him. It it very much like everyone here is in on it, but you. And why hasn't anybody else been time traveling? Like, it it's weird.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the time travel is very, like you said, very like story. Driven, it, It doesn't feel like it's a tool that you have that you can utilize in some unique and interesting way. It's like, no, this is when the story wants you to time travel, like, you do it then, everything is in place the way that it's supposed to be, you change something that you're supposed to change, and you leave. Not that, like, I was expecting, like, oh, an NES game is gonna be, like, I mean, even Chrono Trigger, to some extent, has a lot of that, and then it has some other stuff that, like, is a little more, um... Uh, you have a little more agency with but like yeah i definitely wasn't expecting it to be more like that but yeah i just did, don't want uh, anyone to think like oh my god you can go back and you know you can go back and kill the bad guy as a baby and like, <laughs> <laughs> no you can't do shit like that
0: but and you only go like 500 years into the past so why do the maps change so much uh between <laughs> 500 years like i'm not talking about like the placement of towns or even just like enemies or stuff. I'm talking about like the actual You're talking about like, like a desert
2: turning into a forest. or Yeah, a yeah. desert
0: turning into a forest, but also like not even, it's not one to one the same screens. So it's not even like, if you remember where you were in the present, when you go to the past, it'll be like the same layout, but oh, these things have changed. You won't really yeah. notice like it's not like the screen to your right from the time gate is exactly the same in the past or in the present. It's like even the the world itself like has these life-altering earthquakes that yeah. change the, the, the well, actual geography.
1: Yeah, at least one is mentioned by, like, the townspeople, like, in the first world. It's like, oh, you know, it's really too bad that that one city fell into the sea, and, like, so I guess you could imagine that some cataclysm struck and changed the geography and the environment, but uh, for it to be, like, everywhere... Uh, with this kind of change, it's, it's hard, to, hard to believe.
2: Yeah, and regardless of the story implications of that, it does feel like uh, it's just such a missed opportunity because there's something really cool about revisiting the exact same landscape with new stuff in it. Like, I know where I am, but now I want to see what it's like in the past. Like, oh, now I bet this guy's in this spot. But if it's not the same spot anymore, then it doesn't really feel like you've traveled to the past and you're looking at, like, a past version of it. It just feels like you're on a different map. I, I thought that sometimes it, it did it okay. Like, with that sinking city, you can go back to, I think it's roughly where that sinking city is in the past. When you go there in the present, you can, like, go underwater, and it's like a city of mermaids. Yeah. Like, that's cool. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it is it is missing out on the opportunity to, like, make you go back in time or forward in time or whatever and be like, oh, I know this map. I just don't know what I'm, what I'm going to run into now.
0: Right, right. And it's a pretty, you know, we were saying that these are level-based missions and stuff, but it's a pretty expansive game just in terms of what you'll do in the levels and what you'll find and what you need to be doing. So the manual is very surprising because it's actually, it's like 40-something pages, and it's pretty in-depth. It's not a strategy guide. It doesn't give you, like, maps or tell you, like, starting the game, here's what you need to do and stuff, but it really is a good lay of the land in terms of everything that you can do in this game. I don't know if you guys looked at that or not. It really is just an actual uh manual very similar to like board games that give instructions yeah. about like every single thing that you can do and then you just like you're like, "Well, maybe we need to play the game a little bit to understand the rules." Uh that happens to me a lot in board games. It's very similar with this. How did you guys make just getting around and figuring out what to do in the game? Was it was it something where the NPCs were very helpful in giving fetch quests that were very obvious about your next steps? Or did you find any uh, obtuseness to it?
1: I, I think, so usually I will, I will read the manual before I play these games. It's, it's kind of rare when I don't do it. Um, this time I took a look at it, saw the length, skimmed the first few pages, and was just like, I, I can't, I'm just going to play the game. And it actually turned out to be pretty easy. Not not like easy at like the most extreme cases, but unlike a lot of games that we played, this one kinda holds your hand to some extent and like you you can just figure out what a lot of the mechanics of this game are just by playing it. And um like for example when you enter a screen with a hidden door, your cat will just say like, Hey, use that thing and something'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> and so you do when it does. So it's not as uh, obscure as I was expecting without any manual knowledge.
2: Yeah, I noticed that too. I mean, I would say that it's it is some. It does fall somewhere in the middle of like the best and worst cases of this that we've had so far. Where like there were times where I didn't know what to do, and then there were other times where, I mean, gratefully, what was yeah, what was that cat lady's name? Coronia or Corona? Corona, Carug- yeah. yeah. yeah um she would like when you go somewhere she kind of like says talk to the townspeople she says like what you're supposed to do in that spot or like use your uh there's like a reveal spell i don't remember what it is but like use that here i bet something's here and it's like it felt like a solution to that whole thing of like oh there's like a random spot that we would never guess that you have to do one specific thing to open up a door like, it felt like a solution to that, but also I noticed that if you let her as your companion die in battle, then you don't get those hints anymore. Oh. So that kind of felt like a cool, yeah. like, it made her more than just, like, um either a tutorial person or a companion that just fights in battles with you. Like, it made it like, oh, she's, she's living and breathing in this world, and like, hey, if she dies in a battle, she's not going to do the tutorial thing for you. That's um, pretty cool. So I actually like, didn't cool. know that. Yeah, and it both like gave you a little bit of um, agency, but also like agency to decide when you want your hand to be held, or like decide how important that is to you when like deciding when to use her or protect her.
1: I do think that having the like, hey, there's a there's a hidden thing here. Better use that spell for finding hidden things, or when you're like passing through the gates of a town, like oh, you better talk to the townspeople here. I mean, I think that. Is going a little too far in the handholdiness, but I do appreciate that there is an effect uh, to letting her die, and it's not like a game yeah, over. Yeah, I mean,
2: I, I yeah, I think from my opinion would it would probably meet you in the middle there, where like I think that saying, "Hey, this screen use that magic that I'll show you the secret passageway," completely defeats the purpose of having a secret passageway yeah. because you might as well have it there if you're just going to tell them how to do it immediately when you get on that screen. But I do like the. Um, Hey, talk to the townspeople. Like, I, 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 then you're like, oh, okay, that's how I figure out where to go next. You still got to talk to the town people and interpret their <laughs> cryptic uh, words to figure out where to go next.
0: And Coronia is one of your uh, many allies that you can have in this game. Uh those are the recruitable party members and they're only accessible during the turn-based combat. During the action RPG combat, it's just uh you the player character uh on the screen and it's top-down Legend of Zelda style. You swing your sword or use your rod and um fight these uh, and fight the enemies on screen, they randomly spawn in on the, on the particular screen that you're on, or they don't, it, it's not guaranteed, so you can just kind of keep shuffling back and forth between, and then when you deal with all of them, they don't just continuously spawn, that's it for that, and then you have to continue to move on. Interestingly, though, just for the, like, ARPG portion of the game, I found it to be, like, I don't want to say, like, too simple or whatever, but compared to, the turn based combat, which gives a lot more options, it has like formations and party members and uh, supplies that you can give to, to your allies before the battle begins. It, it just felt like really two separate experiences where the turn based one maybe should have been saved for not just random screen switches and more for like big impactful battles, and that the yeah. action role playing probably could have just kept the majority of the game.
1: Yeah, this is where my tone's gonna shift because they have they have designed two battle systems here, the active and the turn based that both feel like afterthoughts. Like there's some interesting things going on in both. Like um, in the turn based, like you can hire mercenaries that sort of act as meat shields slash uh sort of auxiliary attackers. Uh, you have access to any arrangement of the uh, companions that you've met across the way, each of which have different spells. Um, but on the other hand, like the, the, the fighting is just, it's so simplistic and it's missing some very key features just to like make it make sense in any way. Like in the turn-based uh, portion, you cannot select your target. Like it either, either the spell hits everyone or it hits one person. And then the next attack is going to hit the next person in line so that you'll end up just very lightly spreading around some damage. And there are enemies here that will multiply if you let them live. So it just becomes like a headache dealing with these things. And when it comes to the action RPG, uh, action (laughs) uh there there are only so many different variety of different varieties of enemy at least in terms of function um and while i think it's cool that you know even with your sword if you time it right you can like dodge projectiles like there really isn't much going on there either so yeah to me bottom line they both feel underdeveloped
2: yeah i mean i felt Almost exactly the same way the the what you were just saying about the um turn base having lacking the option to choose your enemy just felt like a it, 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 a crazy oversight to me i mean i it felt completely like unfinished in that sense, and then for the action part to me what what really got me was i, I which i do think that I think the action part was a little better developed uh than the um turn base, but the fact that there's no knockback whatsoever really was bothering me like like enemies will come up to you and just like they're just doing like damage per second as they're touching you and like it sounds like it would be easy to get away but there's like a lot of times where I'm like I would like to just get a little feedback that I've been hit and then like turn around and like run or whatever like yeah. even legend of zelda is doing that um i mean i guess in japan these came around or this came out a lot closer to legend of zelda but um than it did in the US but but still i i just felt that both of them it felt like it was biting off more than it could chew. And I and I you know, I'm interested in the idea. I'm not sure that I fully uh am behind the fact that like I that I could see this turn based and action working together for me, but like I'm interested in like a game really polishing both those things together. But this game in particular I feel like would have just benefited from focusing on one.
1: Yeah, I I remember specifically during a couple play sessions, like the action sequences are very simple like we said but at least it's 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 fast paced and it's very fast to react to you like the the controls are at least tight in these scenarios and so you can sort of be in and out of an engagement in like 30 to 40 seconds but when you fall into these random encounter where you're going into the turn-based mode they drag or they can drag because there could be like a dozen enemies on the screen. And uh, I know that I think that there is a, in the beginning of the game, you can select like slow, medium and fast. And I don't know if that affects the text generation or if it's just like the speed of the game uh, in general. Um, But you have to wait for each prompt to populate and then despawn and then the next turn starts and, like, it could be a very simple fight where you're just hitting attack over and over and over, but it can take forever and there were several times where I was playing this game where when I just got into a random battle, it just ended my session because I did not feel like
0: dealing with it. Right, right. Yeah. The, the tech speed is what the uh, slow, normal and fast is, just so you know. It's not about, like, the game runs faster or yeah anything. i figured that <laughs> fidelity mode and performance <laughs> mode. right right right
2: uh, <laughs> uh, but well i don't want to like harp on the uh on the turn-based thing but the other thing that i have to mention too is like just the way the information is presented on the screen is so not fun <laughs> it's like like your enemies are all just in a line at the top of the screen and if there's a bunch of them it gets a little a little cluttered and then you and your party are like crammed into like the right side of the screen so you're not even across from the enemies and then the text is like it is like taking up that corner between you and like all of the like information as far as like your your health and your magic and your your bread and you're what's I forget forget what the other thing's called that you you shuma or yeah. something like that or mushroom Mush- 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 yeah um the mushroom <laughs> and like any you you can hire mercenaries you get them too like it's all like crammed into like it almost it, like it gives me like the vibe of like i'm looking at like a spreadsheet of information or something like it's all just kind of clustered in one corner it's just like counterintuitive even i feel like even back then when you're like when you might say like well there's not really a precedent for it but, like, there's precedent for, like, a person facing off against another person, and they're not kitty-cornered to each other. <laughs> they're not, like, 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 a right angle to each other. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's a nitpick, but it just looked weird to me, and it just made it... I mean, I guess it drew even more attention to the fact that I'm not picking who I'm attacking because I have no idea, like, who I'm facing anyways. Like, at least I could see if I'm across from it if you're like, no, the you know, each character can only attack the person they're directly across from, like, not ideal, but at least it makes some sense. This, I'm just like, okay, I guess I just select and he's going to attack one of these guys. Mm-hmm.
0: The uh, switch, too, between turn-based and real-time, the the interesting thing there is that the, just the whole, like, game is different in the sense that in the uh, real-time battles, it's only ever just you, and it's kind of weird to think that, like, Coronia, or later on, like you know, there's a genie, there's a um a flying monkey, there's there's all sorts of different allies that you can get, but they're never there to help you other than in the turn-based sections, which seems a little strange. But then there's also like magic that you can only use in the turn-based sections, or um this the you know the the functions of the bread and the mushroom that we were talking about. Those are just items that automatically get used. Uh, you don't have to like use them. So if you have bread on you when your HP finally like is at zero and you should be dead you'll eat the bread and recover 50 health points and i just wonder like what does zero health points mean to this game why would you be (laughs) able to eat bread and suddenly recover um what's in that bread
1: yeah i mean that again that that's a part of management you should have to use the bread when you see that you're getting low otherwise there's no strategy to it it's just an extension of your health bar
0: yeah, and just you know, the combined magic and stuff like that, like formations, it just feels like there's a lot going into the turn-based thing that I think it surprised a person at first. Like it definitely surprised me how like prevalent the turn-based combat was. I thought it was supposed to be some like neat little like every now and again it just switches to turn-based combat and it's a bigger fight. But then like I entered a cave And it just became, like, nonstop down in the caves, like, turn-based combat. And I just wasn't prepared for that. The game, obviously, like, it's an RPG. You gain experience points both in turn-based combat and in real-time combat. But it has a level cap, too, so that you can't gain, like, more than five levels per chapter. So this way you're not, like, super strong or whatever, which I kind of admire. But not when, like, it's pretty much required to make sure you get all five levels before you move on because you don't want to be under leveled.
1: Yeah, I guess i I didn't exactly notice that there was that cap, but um, it almost seems I, I don't know that this game does hold your hand and it doesn't pose a lot of restrictions on you. I guess I wasn't expecting it to actually restrict its own systems. I was watching some people play the game and like they are just gaming the economy, so it's not like they've completely like solved it but yeah i guess i just wasn't expecting there to be a level cap too
2: well so about that level cap though is it it sounds like from what you're saying like that it's it's not at in in level one you can in world one you can get to level five and in world two you can only get to level 10 it's like if you leave world one at level two then in world two you can only get to level seven you know, like I you're going to get five per world.
0: I didn't test that, but my understanding is the first option, Joe. That like if you oh, okay. if you got if you somehow finished on just level two in in chapter one, when you get to chapter two, you can get all the way up to ten, but not eleven.
2: Okay, well that's not as bad then, because then you don't have to worry about locking. You know, like I can grind later if I need
0: to. Yeah, but I'm just as in like you know it's a the turn based combat in particular because you can't choose which enemies you're fighting and your allies are computer controlled so they're not uh sorry not com- are they computer controlled i can't remember no, you now control yeah. Them okay in yeah the turn but yeah Right, right so yeah you can do it uh, you know there's just something about if you're not properly leveled for it it's like you know depending on how many turn-based battles you run into which again are random and stuff like that on top of the action combat which is sharing the same health bar and everything it's just it's a lot you know you kind of do want to make sure, even though they're trying to not encourage grinding, you kind of do want to make sure that you have all five levels before you move on. Yeah, I mean,
2: I, I, I always go back and forth on that kind of thing where I like that it... I, I kind of like things like that sometimes because it, it gives you a reason not to grind further than that. It's like, it gives you a reason... In this game, it probably doesn't apply because, it's like, the turn-based combat, like we've been saying, isn't particularly, like, something you're seeking out because you really want to play the turn-based combat. But, um... But like it gives you enough incentive to do a bu- to, to partake in a bunch of battles without making you feel like, well, I should just keep going because I might as well get more powerful. Like it gives you also incentive to stop and continue with the rest of the game. I like that idea in a lot of other games, Chrono Cross being an example where it's like after after a boss battle you kinda get like five level ups that come relatively quickly. It was basically like five battles or less. And then it's like, okay, so I can grind for the amount of time that's like to level up and then I can move on and not worry about like random encounters and stuff like that. Doesn't work as well here because the game's not designed around it like Chrono Crosses.
0: Sean, you mentioned that you can gamble. In some of the towns, uh, there's a lot that you can do in these towns other than just talk to the NPCs, um, in the past, but not the present. For some reason, there are universities that you can go to and learn, uh, take courses and some require you to even, um, answer like, you know, your understanding, uh, take a test. <laughs> but for the most part, there are other ones that's just like probably more useful ones too, that you, um, select a course, and then at the end they're just like, great, here's a powerful item, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, thanks. Here's for that. a scimitar. Why yeah, why uh, didn't I have to take a test for that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, the, the funniest one is, like, you, you'll take a test in Cygnus, and Cygnus is just a, an arrangement, I, I guess, it's a for, yeah, it's a formation for when you're fighting a specific group of enemies, and uh, why that's a thing, I don't know. But regardless, after you take that class, it will then give you a final exam, like, <laughs> which, which was the name of the formation that I just taught you. And then you have to select from Cygnus, and then, like, three zodiac signs. And you, you select Cygnus, and they're like, great, you passed. You are now an expert at this formation. It was, it's very weird. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, because there is some humor in this game but it otherwise struck me as just odd and super, like, almost insultingly simple.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's not a lot of depth to it, but it's nice that, like, these towns aren't just here's where you save, here's where you heal, um, and then here's a bunch of NPCs walking throughout that have uh, randomly nice information that will help you do the exact thing that you're looking to do. Like, I don't know about you, guys, but, like, in my, in my daily life... Random people don't necessarily help me get things done in my day to day. Really? You don't know, sometimes when I was living in New York, I would stand on the corner of the street and be like,
2: Hey, can you help me find a- I lost baseball cards scattered throughout the city. Everyone you bring to me, I'll I'll give you a dollar. Right. <laughs> uh, I just I, w- I just behave like an NPC.
1: Yeah, I kinda wanna just find like a, a fun fact to repeat to other people. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know yeah. the subway was founded between three different companies. It wasn't all one system.
2: But it's got to be something that you—it's got to be something that you think will come in handy in their in their day later. Like that they be like, you might need that information later.
1: Well, I was thinking maybe I'd just be one of the lore
2: guys. Oh, okay, gotcha. Well, it's yeah. real life though, so folklore.
0: Well, it's a game clearly taking on like the MTA or something.
2: Yes, you
0: fight <laughs> right. you fight the MTA. Sean, you're like our degenerate gambler here, so how's the casino work in this game?
1: Um it's roulette, uh, but they're crooked, and the <laughs> uh the dealer slash person that throws the ball around the circle will just offer to fix the game for you, <laughs> so I don't really know like what uh. How gambly it is because I didn't do it often because I was like, that's weird. Um so I mean, if you know a a dealer at a casino, maybe it's kinda like that.
0: You know, there's a lot of that in this game though, not just even the casino and not just the idea that like everybody can be bought, but everybody (laughs) can at least be bartered with. Um (coughs) There's the shops that like all you have to do is just ask the guy for a better price and he'll yeah, just like oh give it here to you. you go. Yeah, yeah I forgot yeah, about the discount button. You forget <laughs> that you <laughs> have to ask politely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But there is risk. There is risk to that cuz some sometimes they just will not have it and they'll get so angry and throw you out and just take 10 rupees from you. Oh, wow. so you abused it. No, I used it like I mean I used it at one place and then I went somewhere else and tried it one time and on the first try he's like He just got mad. Wow. Yeah, I remember. I don't know if it's RNG
1: or. I think I used it on the same shop in two different time periods, so maybe that has something to do with it. But Mm. maybe I also just got lucky with the RNG.
0: This conversation reminds me of the infiltrator "Show Me Your Papers" uh, discussion we were having (laughs) the other week, where it's just like, who knows what what upsets these guys? (laughs) But also, like, who knows? uh, In battle, too, you can make peace with the. With the enemies in the turn-based combat, at least, you're able to um, offer uh, paying the money that, uh, you know, like a a large sum of money and then they'll go away. Uh, Maybe if they they refuse the money, then you have to fight them. But I think it's funny that (laughs) I don't know Middle Eastern culture or even just like what this game's getting at. But like everything has a price in this game. Everything can be bartered with. Everything can be adjusted. There are spells to just. Cast that automatically refill all of your items and all of your wallet. It's like what, like a lot of this game can be broken if you just know uh, yeah. the systems, I suppose.
1: I also just like the idea that like a slug or
0: something wants your money. <laughs> it's also <laughs> yeah. tender in Slugland. What do you guys think about the novelty of an Arabic video game? Uh, because even today, like we don't have that many middle eastern settings uh you know i think about like the first assassin's creed game kind of had had that and there's prince not of like persia prince of persia yeah i mean like you know those games are always great too like we just talked about two great titles uh i don't know how well the first assassin's creed game holds up today i played it when it first came out but there you know it's surprising that like so many rpgs just have um i don't know like uh renaissance times yeah that
1: standard western european yeah, yeah, medieval times
0: right yeah exactly and and so to see a different kind of uh you know setting and just a different kind of culture uh did give this a bit of a unique feel to it because like we're you know they probably should have embraced it maybe even a little more and make the classes like more distinct to the setting but uh i i i wasn't expecting uh this game to be like so large in scope and size.
2: I was um, surprised, too, and I, I thought it was a very, like... It was a refreshing change, you know? I, and I love that, like, uh, whatever, like, that style, that, like, medieval Europe-based style that we see all the time, or whatever. Like, but, uh, but it was cool to see, like, this type of game in a different setting with, like, different... I mean, it's just a different aesthetic, even. Like, it was kind of neat.
1: Yeah. I'm actually... I have never been a fan of, or I mean, like it doesn't bother me when games are like it, but I've never been a huge fan of the standard fantasy setting, like the the Tolkien uh, stand, yeah, with orcs and goblins and elves and all that. But uh, so yeah, any change in the aesthetic, I'm into, and while it, I think it should have gone farther, like you said, Mike, uh, just having that as uh as the baseline was uh, was a breath of breath of fresh air Be- they, i think they could have done more especially with the environments i feel like there's more green space in this game than there is in the arabian peninsula <laughs> uh but yeah i yeah, there's a
2: lot of there's a lot of oak trees in the desert yeah. <laughs>
0: I and we only did like the surface level plot and everything like that but do you guys have any thoughts on how the game evolved chapter over chapter? Uh, I, you know, I'm not interested in how far you got or anything, but just wondering. Like, is there a feeling of progression that is expected in RPG games? You know, you're supposed to be by the end of these games an uber strong, like casting ridiculous magic spells and having a large party. Like, is that experience found here?
1: Well, I didn't get incredibly far in this game, but I. I did like that as you gather companions when you're sort of traveling on the carpet uh there is banter and you like you get this feeling that you have sort of uh created a team that has interaction with e- with each other like they in previous like RPGs that we played that have a party or early not so much on this podcast, but early RPGs that have a party. Like it just seems like they go to work, they don't talk, they just fight together, and then you talk to the king and you take your next quest. Whereas in this it seemed like a group a group of people that were like teammates and uh actually had interpersonal relationships. So that was interesting to see. It was pretty much for me at least, I only saw that when you're traveling between worlds, but it was cool to see regardless.
2: Yeah, well, and also to build on it, too, the, even though you don't see it other than traveling between worlds, most of the companions that you're getting are, like, you're getting through some... They're part of the story before you get them in some small way, so they feel a little more, like, real. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Than just, like, yeah, here's your starting party, or anything like that. Like, it's like, oh, you gotta go find... I forget a lot of the names, but, like, that that first companion you find outside of um, Corona, like... A lot of people are talking about him for a while. You're like, I'm like looking for him I need after a while while I'm like, I know he's important. Yes, yeah. And then there's the
1: girl. But I, uh, I think in
2: the mermaid town,
1: where you just get like a hint right outside the door where you find her. Uh, like somebody says, like she's cool, but she's also kind of a square. And then when you walk in there, she'll just out of nowhere ask, Hey, would you ever ask a girl out at a hamburger shot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have to say no because you know that she doesn't know how to party um, and then she'll <laughs> come with you. So little things like that were cool. That's really not answering the question of like, oh, was there like a feeling yeah. of progression? I guess I'm just talking about
0: like how the, the game unfolds
1: in a way. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I get it.
0: And I would just say yeah. that, you know, to, to argue a little bit back on the progression thing. I actually think that the game doesn't really go anywhere and it's kind of surprising how much of this game and it's mostly because of the ARPG side of things the real-time combat in the in a game that like Legend of Zelda you really do gain new items that are very useful that make fighting newer enemies more exciting and fun and yes the enemies are now harder but you have new ways to deal with them that doesn't quite happen in this game you're just switching between projectiles and melee combat and so are the enemies uh it's it, there's not really a lot to it and that is a bulk part of this game so it's kind of funny if you like if you just jump through a long play it's amazing how similar most of the game looks from beginning to end but also the whole like layout of just the way that the world is built where you start in a town talk to everybody in that town Coronia will still remind you even towards like the final (laughs) chapter, like Coronia will continue to remind you, talk to everybody in this town. You do all that. You explore a little bit, probably find some secrets along the way or whatever, but then you're just in the next town and you do the next thing and then go through the time gate. It's not as they built a lot of systems in this game. And I know this feels more like my vote, but I guess I'm just saying like, it never really evolved past what you experience in not necessarily just the first chapter, but maybe like in the first hour of your game
1: yeah no uh, it all is it's it's kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for recursive like if you zoom out and you zoom in, it all looks the same because you're you're kind of doing the same routine everywhere you go,
2: yeah I can see that i mean as far as um like your character's abilities, i feel and again, I also didn't get. Usually a game like this, I mean, I, I I get a lot further than I did this time. I think this is, game just feels really long because the because of the I mean, we haven't had a lot with the turn-based battles and they take so long in this game. I know like a full playthrough uh like like a perfect playthrough is like almost 5 hours uh on YouTube. Uh so it, it's just saying like I didn't get too, as far as I'm going to done, I get to like the third third chapter, but but I was feeling like my abilities were evolving somewhat, you know, a, a noticeable amount. Even, like, the rod, I don't remember getting these upgrades, but I feel like the rod became, like, fireball instead at some point, and then it became, like, starlight or something. I'm getting this totally wrong, but, like, I kept like, looking at in my inventory and be like, oh, the rod has yeah. been replaced with this other thing that, like, apparently is more powerful. They kind of sneak them in And the spells you get, yeah, the spells you get do, um, like, I know, like, later on there's one that's, like, a dragon spell or something. And it like, like the whole screen flashes with like fire and ice. And like, it, it, it it tries to give you that like, Oh, you're getting more
0: powerful feel at least. Yeah. And I think that's you, that's mostly done in the turn-based combat where, you know, most of your options fill out, you know, you have a lot of magic choices, the, the formation stuff, uh, things that we can't really like break down in this podcast, but it is funny how the, turn-based thing the thing that happens randomly and not on you know like not not predetermined is the thing that grows but the act the real-time combat is the thing that kind of like yeah the the sprite changes and it does more damage and stuff but the actual experience of it uh, me personally I didn't feel like it was evolving no On the sequels and spinoff side, it looked like we were going to have one, but I'm pretty sure this game never came out. You see, there was a sequel uh, that Culture Brain, the developer, teased for first the NES, and years went by, and then it randomly showed up again as a listing for the Super Nintendo. And even as far as 1996, it was still (laughs) being mentioned. As like you
2: know,
0: (laughs) right? Not even like you know. Oh, nineteen ninety six. Like okay, we're gonna rework it for the N sixty four or whatever. It was like still being like, "There's gonna be a late Super Nintendo game. It's gonna have all these awesome features," but it never came out. Wow. I wonder what did what did it in. That's a shame. Yeah, because think about like everything they could have expanded upon, and especially if they were still working on the game by ninety six, they would have seen like what Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and Chrono Trigger were able to do, and they could have take in all of those awesome systems, but work them into this unfamiliar setting.
1: Well, maybe that's what happened. Like they saw what those games could do and they saw what they were working on.
2: And they were like, Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> that could be, uh, but because, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would have loved to see a super Nintendo sequel to this. If they could have pulled it off though, because I, I do feel I love this type of, type of game. I mean, it's no secret, but I feel this is more just from like cultural awareness than necessarily all my personal experience, but some personal experience that the super Nintendo really perfected this thing that I love about these, especially based on like what we've played in these early games uh, on the Nintendo. Like I would love to see what this could do on a super Nintendo where there are other games like secret of mana and, and chrono trigger and, and everything like that, where I'm like, like those feel like they've polished this formula that I already love so much that I would, in a way that like in a type with a type of polish that I think that this series uh would definitely could benefit from
0: interestingly enough too the game was going to be called the uh the magic of shahrazad the prelude so i wonder if you would have played the story before Ooh. you get to the point where you lose and maybe like you know the end of the game is like you use the time gates to appropriately win that time instead of losing and setting up the the sequel so it's kind of like a erasing the events of the first game by doing it right the first time (laughs) that could be really cool i like that plot element i totally just came up with that based on the title but i will take my money culture brain if you're out there (laughs) let's uh let's make something happen well we have to make one more thing happen on this episode and um i don't think it's uh it's still you know it's still a toss-up i don't think it's been decided even though i said i kind of gave my vote but what we are voting on is something we call the essential games list. So I was talking mostly about the progression, but I do want to say, in, in regards to the whole game, it's another one of those games that's very impressive for all of the things that it offers. It we we talked about them and we only like got to like the surface level of things. Like I feel, I feel that the game is owed a uh, at least a test because I this is the kind of game that. You, is either like a hidden gem that not many people talk about and uh, you'll think it's great. Or there's a reason why nobody's talking about it. And uh, the magic of Shaharazad was definitely not a game I have heard much about, but when I was playing it at first, I was kind of like blown away and I was taping up notes for the episode. And I was like, Hey, you get to, you know, choose your class and you have recruitable party members and you can, uh, you can travel through time. And there's two different types of combat, but the more and more you go through the game, like I was talking about in the progression section, that's where it starts to actually become less impressive and you start realizing, like, yeah, those are really neat ideas and features, but they're not worth much if they're not working well. And for me, they weren't working well. And I I don't think that this is a, like, it's not a terribly long game, it's not a terribly hard game, but it does make you... It, you know, with the limited time you have in, in today's world to play video games, it does make you question if you want to keep going on. And that's not something that I like to experience in games. I don't like to experience the, uh, you know, start-stop, start-stop, start-stop that comes with a game like The Magic of Shaharazad, not because of it changing systems, but just because it really started to get stale the longer I realized that this was the game and that the... The world wasn't going to get more interesting, and that the combat wasn't going to become more exciting or, or change up, you know, very much. They're offering a lot of great ideas here, but when they're not executing them well, it's not worth much. So, no, it's not on the essential games list for me. What about you, Sean?
1: Yeah, I like like you said, this is uh, very similar to Inf- Infiltrator um, in that they're giving you a lot to play with, um, but there's a problem with how much those those things are developed, and I think that this is actually a pretty well polished game in terms of just a like a cosmetic and game feel sense um, it It obviously had a lot of thought put into it in uh, in a lot of senses, but there just isn't enough complexity in the things that are supposed to be complex, and there isn't enough change like there isn't enough to build off of to make the the systems that it's introduced still interesting 5 hours into the game. Uh you will you'll pretty much master this game after that amount of time at least mechanically. Uh that said like the aesthetic is super cool. Uh the music is pretty good and different from what we're used to hearing with that Middle Eastern twang. Uh, there's a lot aesthetically that i like but there's a lot systems wise that i don't and i think that it's just it, there's not enough here to recommend it be put on the essential games list but if you if it sounds curious enough for you to try it then by all means go ahead you're not you're not wasting your time you're just you know kind of wasting your time <laughs>
2: joe what about you uh I'll definitely throw out the term hidden gem I, I I think that this was a very fun but very flawed experience like that like I think that's the best way that i that I could put it like i you know it, it it does a lot right, but i I think that it what it boils down to me to to me is that it's a jack of all trades master of none, and that master of none part really uh stands out to me because for everything it does that's cool and for every system that's in it. It leaves something to be desired. I mean, the turn-based, uh, you can't choose the enemy. A very, very simple, like, thing that we've taken for granted in every other game that you you select the enemy you're going to attack isn't there. Um, you know, the, the, there's not a lot of, like, feedback in the action RPG part. There's just, a, there's just, it feels like it, at the time of developing this on the NES, they bit off more than they could chew, and, and that shows. That being said, I mean, if you're like me and you like this style of game a lot, I say it's a play it. Uh, it's, it's not essential. I mean, I think there, we've, we've already, there's already so many other games like this that, uh, that don't have those flaws that, uh, that keep it off the essential games list for me.
0: But fun time. So it's not on the essential games list, and um, that's fine, right? No one's going to send us angry mail about that. Because we have other games that are on the Essential Games list, like, just a couple episodes ago, Double Dragon 2 The Revenge. And really, they're very similar games, so you could understand (laughs) why we would not be able to put both of them on the Essential Games list. Right. They both leave something to be desired. Yes, uh according to Joe at least, who did not vote Double Dragon Two or Double Dragon One.,
2: <laughs>
0: but maybe Double Dragon Three. I
2: think I did vote Double Dragon One, but I tried to take it off. Oh right?
0: okay, so I just uh yeah, now I'm just slandering your opinion. Yeah wow, more slander. Yes. Uh, next week, we're all gonna learn how to play piano. uh even you, the listener, I'd suggest just like, you know hire a tutor or something, play piano at your local community center. Um, do whatever it takes because we're going to be playing the miracle piano teaching system, which is something I never thought we'd have to do for in, uh, for like an NES, uh, podcast, but I'm down to learn the piano. Um, do you guys have a keyboard or have any kind of keyboards in your life? I mean,
1: yeah, none of them interface with the NES. Uh, (laughs) so I hope you're providing the piano,
0: Mike. Yeah. Well, just have, break on over to the other side. <laughs> I
2: have no keyboard, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I might have to pull a uh, aer- aerobics or whatever it was that I did <laughs> with the that dance pad where I was on like a blanket. Yeah, use the blanket. To, like, piano. Draw. I'll have to draw keys on like a piece of paper or something, and then like just make the notes with my mouth as I'm hitting them.
0: <laughs> Interestingly, the Miracle Piano teaching System, which we will get into more next week. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, cannot be emulated either. So you can't just like, even if you had the keyboard, I don't think that there's an emulator that's capable of like registering that you pressed the right key. Uh, It requires like an NES hookup. Wow. Good luck though. So that'll be, yeah, if we don't do it, that'll be the end of the podcast. And thanks so (laughs) much for joining us for the last four years. Uh, Five years? Has it been five years?
1: Something like that.
0: Man, we, we passed our five-year anniversary, but we can't celebrate everything. We celebrate all the time. We're celebrating this episode. Guys, can you believe it? It's our 261st episode extravaganza. Wow.
1: Well, you know the numerology made behind it. 261.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. There's no need to explain it. <laughs> yeah, we all know.